the closer we get to God, the closer we go, get to one another. And isn't that what church is about, right? Especially a church in a culture like the one we live in. There's so many different people and yet we can gather together. And I think this is the kind of uh, mindset we should have, the mind of Christ. If all of us, no matter how different we are, if we have the mind of Christ, we'll have the unity that really makes a church strong and that love that we have for one another, the Bible says, but that's how people will know we are his disciples, by the love that we have for one another. So what better way to love one another than to get closer to the one who is loving himself, and that is God. I want to say welcome to all of you who visit, especially to Rob. It's been a while. You're welcome. Great to see you, our friend. Uh, what, what a way to finish the year, right? So please say hi. If you not know, he's sitting now by the tallest man in the building. That is Rob. Please say hi to him. He's a, he's a friend of the church. I don't know if you thought about it, but there are five parts of me, of myself, and there are five parts of you as well. There's a part of myself that I know and I like and I let my friends see. There's a part of myself that I know and dislike and I don't really want to let others see. There's a part of myself that I do not know, but my friends, my family, those who are closest to me, they know it and they see it. And there's a part of myself that neither I nor my friends know, but God knows. He made me in his image. He made you in his image and he knows who you can become. And there is a fifth part of myself that only God and I know. And that is a hidden part with God. Today, as we start this short new series, New Year series, we're talking about the secret place. And the idea of it being is that we are called to live the Christian life out of that secret place, out of that hidden part of ourselves, out of that hidden place that no one else sees but God. And we are called to live as Christians from that kind of place. For him, that hidden self of ours is very important. To God, that matters more than anything else. It matters more than how you dress on Sunday. It matters more than how well you sing or not. That secret place and the life that we develop in the secret place is what makes you you. Is what makes you a Christian. Is what makes you a child of God. There's this verse that I want to read. There's only four verses I'm preaching on today. And the first part of verse 1 from Matthew 6 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You know, a lot of the things that we hear, whether directly or indirectly in our culture today, is that we need to practice our righteousness in order to be seen and praised by others. Now, this is not the kind of wording that you hear online. No one says, practice your righteousness. But today, that kind of practice of righteousness in order to be seen by others, it goes by a different name. It is two words, which is virtue signaling. There's a lot of virtue signaling that takes place nowadays. The Oxford Dictionary defines virtue signaling as the public expression of opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or social conscience or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. This goes by hashtag followed by whatever. 
that the Cambridge Dictionary defines it as an attempt to show other people that you are a good person. For example, by expressing opinions that will be acceptable to them, especially on social media. Virtue signaling is the popular modern habit of indicating that one has virtue merely by expressing disgust or favor for certain political ideas or cultural happenings. Virtue signaling feeds on the approval of the majority. And there's a lot of it that goes on nowadays. Whether it's likes on, on social media, whether it's follows on your socials, or approving thumb-ups for people that you crave attention and recognition from, virtue signaling is one of the most dangerous practices that one can engage in, and it's not new. If we thought that virtue signaling is new to us, it's not, because if the Pharisees back in Jesus' day had social media, they were also hashtag holy and stuff like this in order to be seen by others. But it's also not something that is exclusive to people who don't know God. Virtue signaling creeps into the Christian life as well. If anything, once virtue signaling finds its way into the lifestyle of a believer, that believer finds himself or herself in the danger of becoming a modern-day Pharisee who practices his or her righteousness before others in order to be recognized by others. And the three things that form our lifestyle in the secret place, which forms our short series, are values that Jesus is calling us to practice in the secret place. And all these three are found in chapter 6, which I'll go a few verses today, next Sunday, and the one after. And they are giving, generosity, prayer, and fasting. Think about it for a second. If you know someone is generous, you will naturally and rightly praise them. If you know someone is a woman of faith, of prayer, like, I want to be near her, I want to hear her pray, we praise that, rightly so. If you know someone practices fasting, we praise that person because we look up to people who do that. So these are good values. These are good things that God is asking us to practice what I want to encourage you to do starting tomorrow and throughout the entire 2024 is to live life out of that secret place where you practice generosity, prayer, and fasting. Why? Because the, it is in the secret place that we enjoy God's rewards. That's what God rewards. Rewards are received in the secret place. So let me read verse 1 completely now. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, can you say it with me, for then? Yeah, important. For then you will have some reward, say no reward, from your Father who is in heaven. That's in the Bible, right? <laughs> if you practice your righteousness before others in order to, that's motive. In order to be seen by others, the rewards that your Father in heaven has for you, you're forfeiting them. That's what it basically says. And allow me to uh, go to the gospel according to Vlad. <laughs> you can quote me, but it's not in the Bible. If we look at the same verse and put it on a, we spin it a bit in the right way. It says, practice your righteousness in the secret place where others don't see, for then... You will have a reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I want that for me. And I want that for you as well, especially as we step into a new year. George Sweeting said, when we come to the end, where is it? This one, please do it. When we come to the end of life, the question will be, how much have you given? Not how much have you gotten? In Matthew 6, so Matthew 6 to then says, so when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and in the streets, that they, again, motive, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What God rewards is generosity. And the slide before this one says this, the secret place is a rewarding place. That's why I want to encourage you, maybe even challenge you as I do to myself. Get back in the secret place, not to impress God, not to convince God, but because there are rewards waiting for you and for me that you cannot experience or receive apart from the secret place. There are certain rewards that our Heavenly Father has prepared for us that can only be received and enjoyed in that secret place. When it comes to giving, Jesus makes certain assumptions which he gives serious warning as well as practical advice. He doesn't say, if you give, it's not there. Rather, he says what? When you give. In other words, Jesus assumes that the believer is a generous person. From Jesus' point of view, generosity in the life of a believer should not be something we debate. It's like breathing. You do not say, if you breathe, say, when you breathe. And generosity for the believer is the same as breathing. It's part of life. It's what we do. That's why Jesus says, when you give. Generosity is a given from Jesus' point of view. And secret generosity is a powerful spiritual discipline. But that power is found in the motivation rather than the act of giving itself. It's, it's about why you give and how you give rather than what you give. Jesus always looks at the heart. And you know the example of the poor old widow who at the surface she gave less than anyone else. Factually, yes, she gave less. But when Jesus looks at the heart and the motivation of her heart, she gave more than anyone else. And just to remind you, we're not doing a special offering today, okay? Please rest assured. I just want you to receive everything that God has in store for you, which is why practicing secret generosity is a spiritual discipline that we need to get used to. And it is for our own good. Based on our text today, there are two motivations to secret giving. One is the genuine love for God and others. When I give, it's because I love. And secondly, we, we desire to honor God rather than seeking human praise. So in anything that I give, whether it's online, whether it's tithing, whether it's offerings, whether it is more than I normally do, I do it because I love God and I love the person or the organization or the charity to which I am giving. And more importantly, I do it in a way to honor God. That's why it's secret in a way. I'm not doing it in order to receive praises from others. I do it because I want to honor my God who sees in secret and trust him to reward me 
in secret. But God rewards the motivations, which is why with God you cannot be fake. <laughs> you cannot fool God. You can fool your pastor. You can fool the other members of the church. But we cannot fool God. Because God knows the intentions of our heart. And when it comes to giving, God knows the intention with which we give. We cannot hide that away from God. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, we don't want people to know when we bless them, right? So sometimes it's just about the intention. So even if you give some recently, I'll not give names because they're here, but recently we received a nice uh, voucher to buy a... Uh, I'm not, don't tell me because then they'll know if it's you. The, a dryer, right? To dry your clothes. How do you call it? Dryer? Tumble dryer. There you go. It's not in my nose. That's why I forget it. So it, it's such a blessing, okay? But we know who we received it from. But those people didn't go online and said, hashtag we bless Vlad and Naomi to practice their virtue signaling. Say, look how generous we are. And I know that it's been a sacrifice for them. But more important than that, God knows that they've done it to the heart to bless us. And I have experienced that, and I was struggling with this one, because normally as a preacher you say, can I bring some personal examples of giving? But if I tell you, it's no longer secret, so I'm not going to give you examples from my life on how we practice secret generosity. But God rewards the intention with which we give. Moreover, when we give in secret, it helps us to do so in full awareness that God sees what we're doing. Like, God truly sees your heart, when you sacrifice to give to someone in need. And it's actually him who promises that he'll reward us. I did not come up with that. God says, and Jesus says, I want you to give in secret because your Father in heaven will reward you when you give in secret. Now, I don't know what those rewards look like, but I am sure that they're better than a like on Facebook. I'm sure they're better than 10 new followers on Instagram. I'm sure they're better than a thank you card from whoever we receive it. God is no man's debtor. And when we embark on this lifestyle of secret giving, we develop humility and selflessness. Why? Because nothing deals better with greed than generosity. Think about this for a second. Because there's a lot of things that God gives us. There's many ways in which he rewards us. And greed is one of the most damaging idols that our hearts tend to protect and worship. So when I give, that is in a way of saying, I am dethroning greed from my life and from my heart, replacing it with generosity, and God says, I'm going to reward that. That in itself, the act of dethroning greed over my heart, is a reward from God. And I'm going to tell you about how fasting and giving, uh, so fasting and prayer, also deal with certain idols of our lives. But one of the biggest that we have to deal with is greed. And the way we deal with it is not only by God help me to be generous, but actually be generous. And that's how you, the idol of your heart, which is greed, will take certain blows to the point where it will no longer exist. Now, as a believer who wants to be empty of anything that is not of God, generosity is one of the best ways that I deal with the idols of my heart. Again, we're not doing an offering today, but I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit puts in your heart to give. In conversations I sometimes have with people, especially in our church, and when we talk about tithing, I say, look, God will still love you if you, if you don't tithe. Like, <laughs> he doesn't stop loving you, 
but there's a level of reward that you enjoy that is not possible without you being generous. So I tell people, I trust God so much that I say, try, put God to test for two or three months. And then stop. That's how much faith I have, both from my personal life and from seeing in the lives of others, that God rewards secret generosity. And I promise you it's secret. All the other leaders in the church, I don't know who gives what in our church, which is why I have the freedom to say, be generous. Because God wants to reward your life. When we give in secret, we develop a deeper relationship with God because we're more dependent on Him. Verse 3 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Not might reward you, will reward you. It's a given, it will happen. When God sees your secret generosity, He will reward you. I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible. I believe that when God says something, He means it, and He means what He says, and God, God's promises are yes and amen, and God doesn't change, He doesn't change His mind either. So if you want to enjoy a lifestyle of receiving the rewards of God, start going back to the secret place, and one of the habits that we need to develop is that of secret generosity. So how can we practically give? How can we practically practice secret generosity? It's quite simple. Identify the need and the needy and ensure secrecy when you give. As much as it depends on you. If your friends take you online and say thank you, that's on them. But you ensure secrecy when you identify the need. One of the best ways we do this is by giving to things and people God loves. Which is why... Personally, and I encourage you, God loves the church. Which is why the community, the church, should be one of the the first places in which we give. But on top of that, there are certain burdens God places on the individual's heart. So give to that. One of our values, which is, if you remember, from GREAT, because we want everyone to be great, is generosity, generous heart, which is generous with my time, talents, and treasures. So that's what generosity looks like. So I secretly volunteer, I secretly give, I secretly use my expertise and my experience to be a blessing to the organization, to the church, or to the individuals. Charles Spurgeon and his wife, according to a story in the Chaplin magazine, they would sell but refuse to give away the eggs that their chickens laid. So they would sell but refuse to give away. And even close relatives were told, You may have them, the eggs, if you pay for them. As a result, some people labeled the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping. Those people are always around us. So the Spurgeons, they accepted criticism without defending themselves. And only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was the full story revealed. All the profits from the sale of eggs went to support two elderly widows. Because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let the left hand know what the right hand was doing, they endured the attacks in silence. Do Jesus' words, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, mean that we should never let others know about our giving? Not necessarily. Yes, it's an easy answer, but not necessarily. The focus, as I said, is on the motive of our giving. 
Our generosity is to be motivated by our love for God and our focus on eternity rather than on the temporary praises of the people. And because of the temptation for pride associated with public displays of generosity, it is best not to draw attention to our gifts to those in need. Those who give in order to receive accolades from others have already received their reward. So you see, that's the thing about generosity. Whether you sound the trumpet so everyone knows or not, you'll still be rewarded. This is like a deep principle in the kingdom of God, the generosity. You'll always have a reward. No matter how you give and why you give, what I'm telling you, why not have God's reward? Why not have God reward you with what he knows best for you? Because those around you don't know what you need. Those around you don't know what's best for your life. Those around you do not know your future, but God does. So it's really generosity is simply a choice of where we get our reward from. If all you need in life is a like and a thank you card, go for it. That's okay. God loves you. But if you want to live a life to this like next level of enjoying God's rewards, try as much as it depends on you to ensure secrecy as you give to the things and people God loves. And Jesus' illustration makes use of hyperbole, right? Which is a purposeful exaggeration to make a point. In other words, we should perform our generous giving with such confidentiality that, if possible, our right hand would not even know what the left hand is doing. In other words, we should remain an extremely, we should maintain an extremely low profile in giving gifts and performing acts of mercy. Modesty is the hallmark of a follower of Christ. Modesty is the hallmark of a follower of Christ. And Jesus' illustration of the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing follows his serious condemnation in the same, uh, in the same uh, context of the hypocrites which were likely Jewish religious leaders in the previous verse where it says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it, do not put it on Facebook, do not bring whatever you saw, Sky News or whatever in front of you, and do not start YouTube Live. Just do it in secret. And Jesus also refers to these hypocrites in Matthew 6, 5, regarding prayer and regarding fasting, which is exactly the other two practices that we need to develop in the secret place. The way we get to practice secret generosity is by avoiding any form of public recognition and private boasting. For some, their giving may be done in secret, but not their boasting. I give in secret, but then I boast before others. For example, some people may say, I gave this person this amount of money. And even though, let's say, I want to bless Loris and Noemi, I give them 300 pounds anonymously. But then I go to Martin and say, I gave Loris and Noemi 300 pounds. Now, they don't know about it. And I'll tell Martin, please don't tell them. That always works. <laughs> but that in itself is not secret giving. Because though they may not know, <laughs> he knows. And I still somehow receive certain reward. Because hopefully Martin will think highly of myself. You see, that's why we, we, shouldn't, we should give in secret and not boast at all to anyone after. In other words, are you willing to not receive human praises by being a blessing, a generous, generously speaking, to someone's life? 
That is what we are called to. That is what God rewards. Because God, our Heavenly Father, rewards secret giving. God rewards secret giving. One of my favorite verses in Malachi 3.10, which you know it, but let's read it again. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and then test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I, that's in the Bible, okay? And even though it's in the Old Testament, God's principles, they remain the same because both the New Testament and the Old Testament says that when you give, God rewards it. I don't know how, and I don't know when, and I don't know how much, but he will do it. I think even if you reflect over 2023, there are so many things that God has rewarded you for, for the things that you have done in secret. So sometimes it's just a matter of time. But as I said, God is no man's debtor. This is the only situation given in the Bible. So in the entire Bible, there's only one way in which we are called to test God, which is giving. Specifically, it's tithing. If there's anything that we get to test God on, that he's inviting us to test him on, is generous, which is why, like I said before, I challenge people, test God. It's not on me. Like, I do not seek to convince believers to give, because like Jesus, I assume you give, <laughs> because that's what we do. And for those of you who have not yet started to experience this freedom that we have when we give in secret, test God. It's not about Vlad. It's not about anyone else, but about God. It is God who says, test me in this. It is God who invites us to test into our generosity. And I don't know about you, but I would like to see God throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much envision church so much blessing that there is no room enough to store it. We already have storage issues. <laughs> Imagine, like, I believe God in this. Imagine if we, as a community of believers at Vision Church, we test God through our generosity. If you remember weeks back when Matt brought the, you know, we're talking about finances. Even as a church, we are tithing or moving towards tithing everything that we earn. Because we want to be a blessing to others. Now, you know this because this is between us. Don't go and tell other churches because it doesn't matter. But say, we are testing God. God is calling us to test him. Not in the way I preach. Not in how long I pray. Not in how many weeks a year I go to church. Not in the way I dress. Not in my knowledge, but in my giving. And that's something that even children can do. They don't need to go to Bible college, seminary, and read the Bible every year to be generous. And God is calling us to be generous. And I would like to see God open the heavens and pour blessings in my family. And I would like to see that for you and your family as well, which is why I'm encouraging you and challenging you, challenging you be a person who practices secret generosity. It's for you <laughs> and it's for us. In her book, Amazing Grace, the writer and poet Kathleen Norris shares what she calls the scariest story she's ever heard about the Bible. Norris and her husband were visiting a man named Arlo, a rugged, self-made man 
who was facing terminal cancer. During their visit, this man Arlo started talking about his grandfather, who was a sincere Christian. The grandfather gave Arlo and his bride a wedding present, which was an expensive leather Bible. Trust me, those are expensive. Like, I need to pay in installments. That expensive, right? So <laughs> he gave them an expensive leather Bible with their names printed in gold lettering. Arlo left the box, and they, he never opened it. But for months afterwards, his grandfather kept asking them if they liked the Bible. He kept asking him if he liked the Bible. And Arlo told this lady, the wife had written a nice thank you note and would thank him in person, but somehow he couldn't let it go. He would always ask if we liked the Bible. Finally, Arlo grew curious enough and he opened the Bible. The joke was on me, Arlo said. I finally took that Bible out of the closet and I found that Grandad had placed a $20 bill at the beginning of the book of Genesis and at the beginning of every book, over $1,300 in all. And that's how he knew we never opened it. Both from experience and the word of God, I believe that in asking us to develop a life of secret generosity, God is a bit like this grandfather who kept asking his grandchild if he liked the Bible that he received. A lifestyle of generosity is a gift that our Heavenly Father wants us to open. Why? Because he wants us to enjoy the rewards that he has placed on this journey of secret giving. We, we, we many times think that generosity is only what we do for others. But I want to tell you something which may be new to many. Generosity is a gift from God to you. Yes, it blesses others. Yes, it blesses the church. Yes, God is pleased. But alongside this journey of secret giving, there are rewards placed in strategic places, strategic times that God has prepared for you. Because God is no man's debtor and he wants us to test him by opening the gift of generosity that he has given us. It's not about receiving the reward. It's about, sorry, it is about receiving the reward that awaits us when we take this first step toward cultivating a habitual lifestyle of generosity that honors God and the things he loves. Test me in this, says the Lord. God is a rewarder of those who give generously in the secret place. God acknowledges your secret acts of giving. God promises to reward generously in his timing. And I want you to live out of that secret place starting tomorrow as we step into 2024. And the word test, by the way, is to examine, to scrutinize, or to prove. In other words, God says, scrutinize me. Put me to test. If I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour blessing into your life and into your family. God rewards private piety, not public performance. God rewards private piety, not public 
performance. It's who you are in the secret place that he is interested in. Which is why even for me as a pastor, that's what I want for you. More than how many of you sit on these chairs. I want to know how many of you serve in your homes, in your workplace. How many of you carry God with you. Which is why we serve God and we live life not out of Sunday, but out of the secret place. That's what makes you strong. That's what brings you closer to God. And this helps, of course. But a real strong, mature believer lives out of the secret place, not out of 90-minute Sunday service. And that's what I desire for all of us. There's this uh, English uh, one-liner that amuses me that says this. It's not there, so listen. A gentleman is one who uses the butter knife when he is alone. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> right. So I was thinking, am I like ish? Sometimes it's a knife, but not butter. Spoon is better. Anyway, <laughs> this, this, this English one-liner says that a gentleman is one who uses the butter knife when he is alone. In other words, it's what someone does. It's what someone does when no one is watching that indicates the true person. And if we want to enjoy God's rewards... If you want to enjoy God's rewards, you must be generous when no one is watching. You must be generous in the secret place. Matthew, can you join if you want? You see, God has more promises in the Bible about giving than anything else. I don't know if you ever thought about this. There's more promises attached to generosity than anything else throughout the Bible. Why? Because God is a giver. And God wants us to become like him. Isn't that the point of Christianity? We grow in the image of Christ, who is generous. Everything we have in life is because God is generous. But giving is hard to do. I know. Because giving challenges our selfishness. Which is why God rewards us when we do it. Doesn't he know us best? <laughs> God knows it's hard. God knows it deals with idols. God knows it sometimes hurts. Which is why he says, I'm going to reward you. And the reward is going to be greater than accumulating money. The, the, the reward is going to be greater than praises of the people. The reward is going to be greater than anything you, you can even dare or imagine. Because God says, test me in this. So in conclusion, I just want to read nine rewards. There are so many. But I just want to read nine rewards that God promises to those who live generous lives, okay? Number one, God promises good things will happen to you. Psalm 112.5 says this, All goes well for the generous man who conducts his business fairly. I'm just going to whisper through them, okay? I'm not going to make a sermon out of them, so. Can I go, Adrian? <laughs> no pressure. Number two, go for it. God promises your children will be blessed. Psalm 37, 26, the godly are always generous. Again, assumption. <laughs> Their children will be blessed. Number three, God promises to bless your work and your business. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and the vats will brim over with new Wine. Again, the same kind of language. Then, do this, then God will reward you. 
Number four, God promises you'll be happier. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Five, God promises your influence will increase. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Oh, how I wish that all of us in this place would understand this amazing principle. Your world enlarges as you step into generosity. I'm not preaching on that now. God promises you'll end up with more somehow. Give. <laughs> and it might be given to you. It will be given to you. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know how much. But it will be given to you. God promises to meet all your needs. Those who give to the poor will lack something. No, okay? Will lack nothing. So oftentimes we are so scared. Should I give? And God says, if you give to the poor, which is you're meeting a need, you will lack nothing. God promises to multiply what you give Him. He says in 2 Corinthians, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. God will multiply what you give Him. Isn't it interesting how we trust the government to multiply our giving more than God? Because you know they give us 25% back if you filled in the gift aid. <laughs> it's crazy. At no point do I doubt we'll get 25% from the government, especially because this man to my left does a really great job. And because you're giving. So I don't doubt. And yet it says that God is going to multiply and I pray for more than 25%. <laughs> Both for our church, but even for my life. God is going to multiply what you give Him. And finally, God promises that your giving is stored up in heaven. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, so in doing that, right? In being good, rich in good deeds, and generous, and willing to share... When you do that, you will, not might, you will lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Oftentimes it will be in this life that God will reward us, no doubt about it. Now the reward is not salvation because you don't have to do anything for that, but just believe. But there's another kind of reward that we are storing for ourselves and for our families in heaven that God knows, God takes account of, and He's going to protect it there where no moth or steel can creep in and steal. In other words, every good deed you do, every single act of generosity, whether it's your time, your treasure, or your talents that you invest in the things that God loves, are taken account of and God will reward you both in this life and the next life. That's why I want to encourage you to practice secret generosity. I don't need to know about it and to be honest, I don't want to know about it because I want to treat everyone fairly. 
Because there's this temptation with pastors to treat those who give more differently. We're not going to do that. Because God is calling all believers, regardless of your social status, regardless of your income, to be secretly generous. To practice secret giving. To live life as a Christian out of that secret place. And I promise you, not because I say so, but because God says, He will reward you. God sees in secret, He will reward you and your life. So what I want us to do in terms of communion is to, I will in a second invite you to take it, but there's been a year of generosity from God to you, hasn't there? And maybe as you take the wine or juice and the bread, say, God, thank you for having been generous to me this year. Thank you for the health. Thank you for the wealth. Thank you for the open doors. Thank you for making me a blessing to those in our church and outside our church. Because we know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And this is what we celebrate. The blood of Jesus that was used to pay for our ransom. We have eternal life. And his body that was broken on that cross for you and me. There's no greater giving than the only son for us. We said that Christmas that a son was given. Every Sunday we celebrate that son that was generously given by God. So may I invite you to just stand and take bread and there's juice and wine. Hold on to it for a second and as you do that, maybe make a prayer on your own and say, God, thank you for being generous to me. And please, if anyone cannot, please help them and take some to them as well.